We're back after a couple of weeks break while I was away and while we were doing the lawyer in the hot seat thing. And then when you came back, you brought a special souvenir for me, two souvenirs. Right. One was a really nice pair of pyjamas, so thank you for that. Uh And the other one was a dose of Scottish COVID. Yeah, it's very special. Scottish COVID, (laughs) deep fried COVID. Oh, Uh, God. So my pleasure at seeing you back was tempered somewhat by both of us then falling ill. Yeah. Um, At one point earlier this year in Scotland, one person in 11 was infected with COVID. Wow. No wonder. If I had known that, I would never have gone (laughs) over there. Uh, And we are in a very unusual position for us this week. What's that? You've just finished writing a book. Yes. Which means, for the first time that I can remember, you are not in the middle of writing a book. <gasps> yeah. Because they've all overlapped. You know, you had Elizabeth right. and Elizabeth, and then you had Daughter of the River Country, and then you had Mary uh, Mary. Oh, and no. sorry, with the Fiona Wood biography, which, yep, is, which coming is coming out. out. In September, I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean... It's so it's so strange because all the time you're on a mad deadline and you're working, working. You're thinking, "Oh my God, I wish I didn't have this book, these books to write." Yeah. And you think it's going to be so wonderful when you don't have them. And as soon as you don't have them, I start getting really fidgety and thinking, <laughs> "Oh my God, what am I going to do with my life?" You so, always think um, of something. Yes, I wrote the words "the end today," which is my favourite part of writing mm. a book. Mm. Um, but I still need to go through the book and and just trim it up and kind of refine it a little bit. I think the essence of good writing is rewriting. <sighs> yes, but hopefully not too much rewriting. <laughs> right. Okay. Now back to our proper job, which is this podcast. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the flat chat wrap. One of the features on the Flat Chat website at the moment is something that you wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald about a development in Wollongong. Yeah, that was fascinating. I mean, I went there just before you came home and made me sick, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> okay, can we just get over it? <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I went down to Wollongong. Um, I went to the, they call it the, the breaking ground ceremony. Right. And um, it was the, the, the start of a new fabulous luxury apartment building. Yeah. But it's a very, very different apartment building. They think it's the first in New South Wales and maybe even one of the first in Australia where you've got um, social housing and affordable housing cheek by jowl with luxury apartments. Right. So you've had in the past, you've had some social housing tenants put into apartment buildings Mm. and you've had some affordable housing um, units in apartment buildings alongside privately owned apartments, but you've never had all three in the same building together. Yeah, because often they'll do a separate building on the same... That's right. There are lots of complexes where there's one building which is just for social housing people or one building which is just for affordable housing and then another building which is for private owners, you know, which kind of help prop up the the finances of the whole complex. But this, they think, is the first time where it's all been meshed all together. Right. And it it was really interesting because to to get permission for the building, they had to set a limit on how much affordable housing and social housing they would have in the building. You know, usually they have, they they set a minimum. Now this time they set a maximum. Why? Because the idea is 
that they don't want social housing and affordable housing anymore to be all just stuck together. Right. So all just, you know, tenants together in, in one big block, like they used to have in the 50s and 60s. You right. know, you has, used to have kind of buildings which, which became almost ghettos of, of deprivation, really, yeah. because people there just didn't have much money um, and they were really struggling all the time. Yeah. But this time they wanted an, an absolute maximum set so that these people would be living together with private tenant, private yeah. um, owners, yeah. and they would all be mixed together. So you've got kids of social housing parents yeah. who can who can see from their neighbours how their neighbours are living. Yeah. They can go to the same schools as their yeah. neighbours, yeah. and they can have the same kind of aspirations as the children of the private owners. Hey, you so know, it's they, really I, mixed up. We have a prime minister who's who was brought up in social housing. So. Absolutely, and a governor-general who was brought up in social housing. Yeah. So, I mean, anything is possible, but this is kind of giving the kids an extra boost, really, by getting them to live in with, with other people as well. Because I think the developer, who's the name of which is… Traders in Purple. Traders in Purple. Mm. Great built, name. It is. Mm. They built a, a block somewhere, was it in Adelaide or Melbourne, and a social housing group came in and bought the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. No, that was also New South Wales, really? in South New South Wales, right on the south coast. Um, and that was meant to be a mix between um, social housing and private housing. Yeah. But the Social Housing Trust went along, liked the building so much, they bought the whole building. <laughs> right, right, which kind of <laughs> so, undermined yes, the, the, right. the concept of blending That's right. Together. But there was such a shortage of social housing there. Um, it was really interesting because the CEO of Trades in Purple said during the ceremony, the breaking ground ceremony, you know, he loves being a developer. He loves developing new buildings, but he's found working with social housing trusts to be incredibly um, empowering and, and rewarding. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And he read out an email that he'd got from somebody who lived in that first um, building yeah. who said, Thank you so much. You changed my life. I was living in a car. Right. And then when you offered me a place in that fabulous new building, which is kind of, you know, a nice building, real luxury finishes, fittings, yep. really well designed. Um, I went on to finish my degree. Then I got my PhD and now I'm lecturing in university. Wow. So, that's you terrific. know, yeah. yeah. It's a great success story. Because just down the road, there was a family of four living in a tent. Oh, wow. And there were lots of other families living in cars because social housing is in an absolute crisis in this country. People just can't get homes. Well, I'm going to raise something here. That lot, that plot where they built this building had originally been a social housing That's block. That's right, yeah. And now they've got private apartments, they've got affordable apartments, and they've got social housing apartments. Has there been a net loss in social housing? I'm not sure. I, there probably would be because it was a, a low-rise building, a kind of very old 60s building, yeah. so there, there wouldn't have been that many. But there probably was a, a little bit of a loss because in this new building there's going to be um, 54 units and of those, there's six apartments for affordable housing and 10 for social housing, and the rest are going to be privately owned. Yeah. So you kind of think, well, 10 social housing, there was probably more than that on that site before. But if in lots of these new buildings, they always all, all have an element of social housing, how quickly would that deficit be made up? Mm, mm. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you came back from that launch, um, from that groundbreaking ceremony, and said you were – 
Not very impressed with our planning minister, my very good friend, Anthony Roberts. <laughs> I think the word you used was tool. <laughs> well, look, yeah, it was a shame. I mean, it was good that he, he actually went there. He went all the way to Wollongong, yeah. um, which I was quite surprised at. So he obviously saw that this was a really valuable social experiment. And he, he said in his speech that he would like to see this happen much more. Yeah, And in fact, the same developers do have other projects in the pipeline in Sydney, in Padstow and Villawood, in, in yeah. two places anyway. But I don't know. He was – Anthony was just a bit odd. I mean, he – He made he, a joke about the name, didn't he? He did. He got the name of the developers wrong. He said, oh, is it Traders, Traders in Purple Traders or something? Traders in Purple. Yeah, and he kind of tried to take the mickey out of the, the, mm. the developer. And it was a shame because – the developer had spoken so passionately yeah. about their passion for this project yeah. and so movingly yeah. and with such great examples. And there was everybody else there from the, the housing trust, from social housing, from, you know, there were people from every um, aspect of the housing industry. So it's a shame that he, he spoke so dismissively about the developers. Mm. I, I kind of thought I don't that think was he's really a bad, bad taste. I don't think he's a bad person. I think he just needs a better scriptwriter. And I think one of the things that was really interesting about this um, apartment building was that people thought, is this really going to work? Are people want, going to want to buy apartments in a building that also has affordable and social housing? Yeah. And that was really interesting. And I think the developers kind of worried about that as well for a while. Yeah. But then they discovered that, no, people weren't put off by that at all. People liked the building. They liked its location. Yeah. And they were actually really quite keen, most of them, when they talked about it, to, to say that we want, we're very happy to have this building to be a microcosm of society. Yeah. We don't want to be separated from, you know, the other parts of society, really, yeah. the other demographics. Yeah. We're very happy to be all mixed up. Yeah. We want our kids to learn about the world. And yeah. learning about the world isn't just about people living in nice apartments, you know, mm. with, with plenty of money and mm. a nice mortgage. It's also about people who can't really afford that kind of housing. And it's about nurses and teachers and police officers. It's those people who can't normally afford that standard of apartment. Now, talking about affordability, how is that going to work? Well, obviously, the privately owned apartments, are, you know, yeah, from, yeah, I think they're from about 690000 up to um, $2.4 million for the penthouses. Right. Um, but for the social and affordable housing, they, were, they pay um, a rent – which is 30% or 25% of their total income. Right. So they never pay too much more than right. 30% of their, of their actual income for those apartments. And this is administered by a housing? The housing trust, yeah. Right. That's, it's looked after by the housing trust. And that's one of the reasons that so many people were very keen to live in the building, you know, the private yeah. owners, because they knew – you know, when you live in a building, you get some people who maybe aren't great neighbours. Well, it's certainly not going to be those people in the social and affordable housing because they're all administered by the housing trust. Yeah. And if there are any problems whatsoever, the housing trust goes and sorts them out. Right. So it's not like... You're you know, not like you're calling the chairman up and, and no. saying, oh, we've got a problem in flat 15. Can you issue notices to comply? That's right. No, the housing trust have made a commitment to sort that out. So, the, So that's a really great compromise isn't it because i do recall a few years ago that uh the housing commission were basically dumping problem families in apartment blocks mm. and and then if they became a problem in the apartment block the owners corporation would call up 
the housing commission and say, you're the landlord, deal with this. And mm-hmm. they'd say, not our problem, it's your problem. Yeah, you're the, you're the owner's corporation, you deal yep. with it. Yep, absolutely. But I don't think that happens. No, not at all. No. And, you know, you're just as likely to get a problem tenant in a housing corporation place yeah. as you are in a private place. You know, yeah. we've, we've got maybe a neighbour or two in our building, which are kind of, they can be problem people. Yes. So, um, yeah. I mean... Oh, no, it's, 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 not, it's not a socially... No, you know, that's right. Exclusive thing. Difficult people are difficult people, whatever class of society they're And if you've in got somebody you can go to and say, can you solve this problem for us? Yes. And perfect. in a lot of cases, you've got people who are not used to living in apartments like that, who mm. don't realise that they've got responsibilities as well as rights. And it's just an educational mm. uh, process, really, I mm. think. Yeah. So this yeah. is a great I, – I thought this was a great step forward and hopefully we'll see a lot more like this coming up. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk briefly about housing availability and affordability more generally. That's after this. Watching Insiders on the ABC this morning, I was struck by Amy Radekis of The Guardian who raised an issue that has gone – Very quiet, probably because of COVID and probably because there hasn't been tourists coming into the country. But that is how Airbnb especially is affecting the availability of private rentals to the point that there are apartments and houses sitting empty and people are living in their cars. Can you see the government doing anything about that? It's very difficult, isn't it? The government is really keen not to interfere with what we say, the mum and dad investors who mm. kind of... Yeah, but we know the fact, you know, Airbnb would deny this, but we know that they cannot be trusted um, with figures and facts. They would say it's all mum and dad investors and it's little old ladies needing somebody to rent a spare mm. room. We know, in fact, that there are people who are literally making millions out of renting multiple properties in on some of our lets. on short term lets in some of our more desirable areas, mm. I think the biggest problem for the government is they want tourists to come in. I don't think they give a damn about mum and dad investors, but they want tourism coming back here as quickly and as much as possible. Mm. But we've got so many hotels and motels with empty empty rooms. Yeah, but nobody. Nobody you know. to to work the coffee machine, you know. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And also, the other problem is that those backpackers and whatnot who would be coming here to work in our hotel industry and, and stuff like that, they can't rent in those areas because Airbnb inflates mm. the rents. Mm. I mean, it's, it's something that the government is, state governments and the national government has completely ignored it. Mm. The state governments have just fluffed it at every turn could the state governments go forward and say you know people can only own maybe a maximum of two airbnb properties they could at a time and so therefore all those people who've got multiple properties you know we we know where there are some up to a hundred i think yeah yeah, they've owned them um could they not stamp out those and say no they have to go back into the private Yep. rental market because that's a huge problem rents at the moment are, are going really really high because there's just not enough rental accommodation and there, and there are people sitting on empty apartments because they don't want to put tenants in because as soon as tourism picks up again they're going mm. straight on to airbnb mm. 
Uh, it, you know, if, the, if those people were forced to release their apartments back into the residential rental market, that would actually push house prices, or at least it would put a break on, on mm. house prices as well. Mm. But nobody's, nobody's thinking about these things in, in any kind of sophisticated way. When I was in Scotland, I did a hike from Fort William to Inverness, and one of the little villages we walked into had a big sign. There's a row of little um, cabins, mm. a big sign, Airbnb. I mm. mean, a big, big sign saying this is a, this is the Airbnb accommodation you've been looking for kind of thing. And mm. I thought, yeah, that's how it should work, that you build cabins for tourists and the tourists find them through a website like Airbnb. I don't see any problem with that. The problem is when Airbnb markets itself as live like a local. Yeah, and, and locals, takes regular rentals away from the regular market. And the locals have to go and live somewhere else. Mm, yeah, sure. and And this is the insidious thing, and this is why I find it really hard to stomach what Airbnb does is because from the moment they moved into Australia, they lied about what they were doing. They misled the government. They, they even persuaded at one point the tenants union to support them. Mm. And it was only after, after I found the picture today of somebody shooting themselves in the foot. And it, it reminded me that I had said to the tenants union, you realize they are taking away residential rentals. And and they came back and said, no, Airbnb have shown us these figures that show this isn't happening. You go, yeah, come on. Mm, yeah. Now use your brains, folk. But there's a new regime at the Tenants Union and they really pissed Airbnb off when they turned around and said, we are stepping back from what we said mm. before. It's not true. Mm, but yeah. something needs to be done. I mean, I don't care who, if it's Airbnb or whoever or stays or any of these things. The mayor of Kayama, wants a 90-day limit as they have, as they're going to have up in Byron, Byron Bay. Bay. Mm. Um, and that's, it's a start, mm. you know, yeah. because then what's going to happen on the, the other uh, 260 days of the year? <laughs> well, I guess those 90 days are always going to be in summer. Yeah. So the difficulty is that you're going to get somebody who's going to take out um, a lease they're only going to be able to take out that lease for in nine, the nine months. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the three months, what are they going to do? Yeah. It's really difficult. Yeah. It just should be a distinction made between residential properties and holiday properties. Just make that distinction. I mean, we've got this situation in Queensland where they have blocks of apartments on the Gold Coast, which they say may not be used for short term lets in their planning and you mm. buy in and you say oh great i'm not going to be in one of these horrendous blocks where half the year it's or more than half the year it's tourists mm. but then airbnb comes along and says oh we're actually residential mm. so yeah and you know, people have bought into these apartments believing that they wouldn't be holiday let's find that they're just as bad as everywhere else sure. yeah. and that's because of gutless politicians if you yeah. ask me yeah right uh when we come back, we're going to talk very briefly about a very strange situation that's come up in the forum. That's after this. I'm pushing on here because I've discovered that the average length of time our listeners listen to our podcast is 19 minutes. And 
Now that's average. Now, some 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 listen for less, some listen for more. That's for how averages are worked out. But uh, I don't think we can be going over half an hour ever again. No. In the forum last week, a benighted woman wrote to us. She's in a small block of four and everything was fine. And then a new owner moved in and decided that since she had a separate entrance in it to her unit at the back of the, the building, she was no longer allowed to use the common property entrance. He changed the locks and when she tailgated a tenant and one of the other units into the building, he called the police and said that they had an intruder in the building. Oh my God. So you think, okay, it's a very, it's a toxic situation. You know, this, mm. this guy, and because the woman has married to someone of North African descent, he oh. shouts racial abuse at them, go back to where you came from and all that. What can you do? What can you do? Well, um, I'm thinking, by the way, the, the strata manager, it's just totally useless in this. Won't even say boo to a goose. Mm. Um, because, you know, how much money are they making off a four-unit block? A $1,000 a year. It's not mm. worth him picking up the phone. Mm. But somebody should step in and say, this is just not acceptable behavior. The woman is confronted with the probability she's going to have to go to a tribunal. She's probably going to have to get the strata manager kicked out and replaced with a statutory manager. What about the two other owners? They're overseas investors. Oh, okay. So it's that nightmare. Mm. But I think the police should be coming mm. round and saying to this guy, hey, look, we actually are aware a little bit about strata law and you can't be doing this. And apart from the racial abuse and all that, but the, the problem is that there is nobody in strata that you can call and say, this terrible thing is going on in my life. My life is being ruined by this neighbour. Can somebody come and do something about it? What about the strata commissioner? Uh, do we have one? Yes, we do. What does he do? When have you ever heard him do anything? He's a real estate agent. That's, that's who he's concerned with. He's concerned with real estate. Now, Strata Community Australia, which is the strata managers thing, they could offer a pro bono service where one of their strata managers comes along and says to this person, you cannot do this. Mm. And we are going to support this person if they take you to the tribunal. But really, you know, for ordinary people left high and dry, who do you turn? I mean, she's going to end up probably selling her apartment. And mm. hope that the person she's she's selling to doesn't know about the crazy guy. Mm. Which brings me to, in closing, Marrickville Legal Centre. Oh yeah. Who offer free legal advice? People tend to think if you own an apartment, then you must have some money. But you think about people who bought their apartments years ago when they were really cheap, and now they're retired and they're on a fixed income, and the levies have to go out, mm. and they don't have money to spend on lawyers. Marrickville Legal Centre will provide you with legal advice and even representation at a tribunal if need be. They're having the big fundraising at the moment. We've got a story on the, the website. Click on the story, have a look at them, send them some money, and Great. maybe we'll get them to help this woman out. Good idea. Excellent. I mean, they're, they're always fabulous people. They, yeah. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. They so they're are. really worth supporting. Yeah, and they're committed to uh, helping people. And and Marrickville Legal Centre covers the whole of New South Wales. Mm. They're the only free legal service for strata 
owner residence to cover the whole of New South Wales. So they need money. Okay. All right. That's it. We're back. We're firing on all cylinders. Fantastic. And we're, you're well enough to go outside. I'm still in purgatory until Tuesday, and then I'm free to go outside. I think she's faking it, folks. She's sending me <laughs> I out. I wish I were. She's sending me out for ice cream and things like that. That's true. <laughs> if only I could go as well, though. All right. With any luck, we'll survive another week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap Podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.